0: Okay, we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and this is what it says. John writes, children, it is the last hour. The King James Version says, the last time. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. So John says, this is the last hour. Now, did John know what the last hour was? No, none of us know. But I tend to think that his readers thought, maybe the last hour is in my lifetime, back in the time that he wrote this, perhaps around 90 AD. But he wasn't specific. He just said, this is the last hour. And Jesus says in Matthew 24, 36, but of that day, And our no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Not even Jesus knew when that moment was was there. So what is John communicating? He's basically saying we are in the final season of this earth as we know it. As we're here living day in and day out, we're in the final season. Think about this. That the Old Testament was set up to point forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, right? And so within Scripture, as we read, we understand, as we internalize the Old Testament, we know there's a pointing forward through Isaiah and other prophets and, and many aspects of Scripture that we can see the essence of this next season, which is what the Gospels depict, is the birth, the life, the... Um, the death on the cross, the ascension into heaven, right? And now we're in this final season. God has nothing else to do to redeem his people, nothing else that we need to do to become Christians. We are in this final season. If you're a football fan, just think about it. It's the fourth quarter. The two-minute warning has been signaled, and we can just get sense that that, uh, the end is coming near. So John wants his children to really understand we are in this last season. And what does that mean for us? Well, first we may ask the question, why did did John say this almost 2,000 years ago? I mean, there's been generation after generation after generation where we can say we are in the last season, we are in the last hour, but yet the generations go and they go. And we may just think, well, gosh, if that's the case, then maybe it's going to be somewhere in the future. Why should I worry about it now when we just figure it'll, it'll come in due time, probably in somebody else's lifetime, but not my lifetime. And so we ask, why did he write it? Well, the question is, why is God waiting so long? I mean, some of us may say, come now, Lord, <laughs> come now and take your people home. I'm just tired, I'm depressed, and all these things are going on. But we realize that God is not limited by time the way his creatures are. In fact, 2 Peter 3 eight says, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And so it's God's clock, but God works to a different timeline. And we know that John had this constant expectancy of the end times. Even back then, he was like, it could happen at any time and we could sense kind of his heart. And, and we should have that too. We should have that. We shouldn't be sort, somewhat cavalier and just go, yeah, the, we're in the last days, it's going to happen. But he had this sense of urgency and so we should too. Because we don't know what's going to come. But we do know, Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There are still people out there that still need to be saved, right? And so I'm glad that the that these uh, Jesus hasn't come before I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I'm sure you are too. That he didn't come sooner. But there are still people, friends, family, co-workers, neighbors. That need to hear the good news of the gospel. And so God, praise God that he's patient. But yes, we can be like, it's got to come. I know we're in the last minutes. I can just sense this. I can sense this. And what John does is he says, okay, we're in this last hour. And let me tell you how we're going to know. I want to give you some concrete evidence to support what I'm telling you. And that is further in verse 18, just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. So he uses the term Antichrists and Antichrist. And so let's just break this down a little bit. And I could just spend an entire night or maybe... Uh, a couple of Wednesday nights is talking about the Antichrist. <laughs> but I'm just going to give you a little flavor of this. Just so we can understand. Because we want to get to what he he wants to warn his people. He says that Antichrist is coming. And this is not the first that they've heard it. Because John has said, as you heard. So he has told them before. They've heard of this before. You can say, as you've previously heard. And yes, we know there is an Antichrist We'll say capital A is coming. He is coming. And John is the only one in Scripture that uses the term Antichrist. There are other references to the Antichrist, but John uses the specific term Antichrist. Now, what's interesting is the prefix anti can mean two things. The first is against, and this is kind of where we think against Christ. That makes sense. Right? But then there's another uh, term, and that is instead of instead of Christ." But let's play this out. We normally would have an image of this, this uh, evil being with horns, and he's got smoke coming out of his nostrils, and, and he's got a pitchfork, right? I mean, we can just picture that, and maybe we watch some pretty, pretty uh, sinister movies or whatever it may be. and we have this vision of this terrible, ugly He smells bad, he sounds bad, this vicious beast. And there is reference in the book of Revelation to this beast that is coming. And many are ignorant about the Antichrist. Maybe all they know is from a movie they watch, they haven't read the Bible, they don't know anything about the character of the Antichrist, what his purpose is. And many of us have have thought about this first anti, which is the opposite of Christ. And so we think everything that Christ is, the Antichrist is not. So we think Jesus went around doing good. The Antichrist is going to go around doing bad. That Jesus' personality was beautiful and attractive. And the Antichrist cared to be ugly and repulsive. And Jesus spoke only truth, and the Antichrist will, will speak only lies. This opposite, you know the picture of the angel and the devil on the shoulders, <laughs> You know, one's in white, one's in red, and, and that kind of thing. And that's sometimes how we think of the Antichrist. But more likely than not, we're going to see an instead of Jesus. And so he's going to be wonderful. He's going to look wonderful and charming and successful and tickle our ears. He's going to be the ultimate winner. He's going to appear as an angel of light. And he's going to cap capture the hearts and imagination of people. He's going to perhaps cause uh, problems around our world to cease, maybe world hunger or maybe other things that are causing us frustration and fear. And and what's going to happen is it's going to divert our worship to someone else than Jesus Christ. And isn't that a scary thought? But that is more... Likely, what will happen? And we'll just say, oh, this person has done so many wonderful things. We need to worship this person. He just made everything wonderful. And we don't see the business card that says, hey, I'm Bill. I'm the Antichrist. (laughs) He's not going to be obvious in that sense. And John is saying, be aware. Be aware of this coming of the Antichrist. The Antichrist, capital A. But now he talks about many antichrists. And we have what's called the spirit of antichrist. And that is this stuff that goes around in this world, this essence, this aroma of evil that is going on. A spirit in the world that opposes or denies Christ or any doctrine contrary to the truth. This is the spirit of antichrist. And many cultisms attempt to redefine this biblical Christ that we know. Something to watch for. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 15, who do you say that I am? So we have to know who this Christ is. And and we may say, well, how how would this be possible for these antichrists, the spirit to come and and, um, bring havoc? But we know example after example after example. Look at Adolf Hitler. (laughs) And many people thought he was the capital A antichrist. And we know that he caused thousands, thousands and thousands of Jews to be killed, to wipe them. This was the devil's scheme to wipe all God's people, the Jewish nation, off the face of the earth. And as we saw the film footage of of the people, the the Germans, what were they doing? They were cheering Adolf Hitler because he caused all these uh, wonderful things to happen you know, the uh, the uh, jobless rate went away and people were being fed and all of these problems that they had as a society were going away. And they began to, in essence, call them the second Christ or the new Christ. And so we see this time and time again as they get the government behind them, off they go. And this is the the spirit of the Antichrist. I mean, it happens with... Lenin and Stalin and Mao and on and on and on. The list goes. And we look back and we go, how could the people fall for that? Because the the devil is a schemer, right? And he knows what motivates us. And we're motivated by things that help us be successful. And so that is Antichrist. The last aspect of Antichrist are false teachers those that reduce Jesus to someone who is not God. And more on that later, but just, just think what Jesus said in John ten thirty, I and the Father am one. That's simple, but that's profound. And that's for us to know that if somebody is claiming that somebody is not, Jesus is not God, then we should have our antenna up, right? Okay, so now, as we talked about these three caution flags, the blinking lights that John is using to communicate to his readers and to us, the first one is found in verse 19. They will, these are the, the spirit attitude of antichrist. right? They will depart from the fellowship. They will depart from the fellowship. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, They would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they all are not of us. So what this means they were part of the church at one time. They were of us. And maybe they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And maybe they uh, were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They took communion. Every part of them looked like they were just believers just like us. But then they began to show their true colors. Maybe they had, had some concerns about doctrine, and they started kind of going in the field and saying, well, I don't agree with that, or uh, all Christians are hypocrites. The church is filled with hypocrites, so I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm just going to worship by myself in my home and uh, just kind of have my petty party and just do that. They're on their own. They're accountable to no one. They're linked to nobody. And they move their, themselves away from the church. Do you know people like that? He said, I thought they were so sincere in their faith, but yet they just went off and now they're into some spiritism or naturalism or whatever it may be. And we scratch our heads and think, what happened? And John is saying they went out from us. They were not really of us. And it's not that they were leaving a church because they wanted to, let's say, worship at another church down the street, maybe with family members or friends or whatever that is. They left completely, and now they were back to where they were before they became Christians or started going to the church. And one of the things that John is pointing out here. He says, if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. In other words, if somebody would have had an issue with doctrine, or maybe some person within the fellowship, don't you think they would have tried to work it out? Get the pastors and elders involved. Let's commit this to prayer. Let's have the spirit of unity. If you turn with me to uh, just back to chapter one, verses three and four, just a page back, perhaps, in First John. This is what John writes, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. And you can see the essence of this. We are together in Jesus Christ, fellowshipping together. And so if somebody is not willing to do that, That's a red flag. That's that cone that's put out there. That's Somebody's off and they're saying, I'm doing my own thing and I'm leaving this Christianity thing. And then it says, in order that it might be shown. We can see that they were not of us because they've left. That they planted their flag and said, I'm out of here. And so that really helps the church. God is allowing kind of this thing to happen for them to leave so that the church is not polluted by all these deceivers. Can you imagine if, if these people didn't leave the church? Different theologies, Gnosticism, and all these, these other kinds of belief systems within the church. Would that be healthy? The answer would be no. So a healthy church can purge itself of the poisons a compromising and false Christian will not feel comfortable setting down roots in a healthy church. He will either get right with God or he will leave. And so this is what John is trying to point out. There were not others. In verse 20, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. Holy One, or the Holy Spirit, and you all know. And now he's saying, but you, enough about them. You, let's talk about you. Now let's just see where you sit in this. And we're going to pick this up in verse 27. So I just want you to kind of mark your place there as we continue. And we'll come back to this aspect of anointing. And in verse 21 says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie is in the truth. He is not writing this letter to say, okay, let me tell you about Christian doctrine, what we believe, 101. He says, you already know this, my children, my beloved. You know this to be true. And because you know it, there's no no lie is in the truth. You can discern between truth and what's not truth. And this is just a little saying that he wants to remind them that you were taught the truth. And you can imagine John, all these years behind him, he was with Jesus Christ, he ate with them, he slept in the same um, area, he talked to him. he saw all the miracles, all this experience and wisdom that this John most likely communicated to his people here that he writes the letter to. And so he says, from me to you, I told you the truth. And there's no lie in the truth. So first we said, as far as one of those identifiers or cautions, that they will depart from the fellowship, the spirit of Antichrist. These Antichrists, plural. But second, they will deny the Christian faith. That breaks my heart. Doesn't it break your heart? They will deny the Christian faith In terms of who Jesus really is, this is important. Verse 22, John says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Who is the ultimate liar? The devil, yes, yes. And he will deny the Father and the Son. Verse 23, let's skip down there for a minute. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And so we need to know who the Son is. If we reject who the Son is, we're also rejecting who God is. We're rejecting God. This is weighty stuff, but this is important. Jude 4.1 says this. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Crept in. This is the schemes of these antichrists that we have here. And how many... Cults and and false religions do we see that deny the true Jesus? We look at Mormonism. Jesus is a God, but we can be gods also. Right? And it's just not the Bible. We have another book. And that book is more accurate, the Book of Mormon. Then you need to have both together to know the truth of who Jesus is. And not Mormonism says Jesus is Satan's spirit brother. Does that pass the laugh test for us Christians? <laughs> Jehovah's Witness, Jesus is Michael, the archangel, a created being. And Hopefully you're hitting the, the red button too, right? <laughs> and on and on and on it goes. Reducing who Jesus Christ is to somebody created, And we know if we talked about Gnosticism that Jesus was not Jesus in the flesh because flesh is evil. And so he wasn't 100% God, 100% man. He was something different, just the spirit. And on and on and on it goes. So here's the test when talking with somebody Is Jesus God? That's, that's really the bottom line. Is Jesus God? He's not a created being. In fact, Jesus said in John ten thirty, I and the Father am one. Put that in your three-by-five card and have that available because that's really the test. I and the Father are one, not all these other things, other religions and cults. And did you know that in the U.S. alone, there's an estimated 10 Thousand cults across the nation. Is that a scary number? That's a scary number. 10,000 cults. People with a different belief, just a little nuance, and it's going to take people in a different direction than where they should be. So the fact is anyone who diminishes Christ is anti-Christ, against Christ. This is important for us to know because there's a lot of that out there. And sometimes we can listen to a podcast or, or watch something on YouTube or whatever and go, you yeah, know, that sounds kind of interesting. I might think about what's being said. It draws us back to the essentials of our faith. Is Jesus God? And if we don't have that right, then we're going to be in trouble, right? so, This is what we're talking about. So whoever denies the son does not have the father this is what uh, John is writing time and time again he makes reference to what he wrote in his gospels John 12:44 to 45 he who believes in me this is Jesus speaking believes not in me but in him who sent me and he who sees me sees him who sent me this is from the words of Jesus Christ himself and so some people may say, well, we worship the same God. All roads lead to God. You just call him something different. Uh, you worship in this way. and, and all. But they all lead to God, don't they? Can't we just all get along and be happy? And uh, the question to ask is another test, another way to phrase this. Was your God perfected? Perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ. Getting back to who Jesus was. Was your God perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ? If yes, okay, then we're good. But if not, we've got issues. And so this was what John was trying to communicate communicate to his people. To be aware that these people are going to depart from the fellowship. They're going to deny the Christian faith. Now let's look at verse 24. As for you, remember before he said, but you, and now he's saying, as for you, he keeps turning the tables to say, now let's talk. Let's, given what I've told you, what does this mean to us? And he says, as for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. And what you heard from the beginning abides in you. You also will abide in the son and in the father, this aspect of abiding. This we're going to cover in chapter, uh, verse 27 as well. So I just want to really highlight the three things that John is speaking about in terms of what we want to be aware of. And then we'll come back and uh, explore this a little bit further. But here's a promise in verse 25. It said, remember there's a promise here. And this is if we are abiding in Christ, if we are following his, the truth of his word, It says, and this is the promise which he himself made to us. What's that promise? Eternal life. That's a pretty good promise. And I think when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Don't you think? So this this is a promise. This should encourage us to see despite these things that are going on, there's a promise there that God gives us. If we abide in his truth, and we'll talk about more of that in just a a short moment, in which you heard from the beginning that we will have eternal life. If we believe in the truth of the gospel, Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior, this is a promise that we have. Amen to that, right? Yes. All right, and so there's a third caution that John is telling his readers and to us tonight. We said he, these uh, Antichrists will depart from the fellowship. That was verse 19. They will deny the Christian faith. That's verse 22 to 23. And now in verse 26, they will deceive. What's that word? The faithful. They will deceive the faithful. How can that be? He says this, These things I have written to you concerning those who were trying To deceive you. Trying to deceive us. Man, Satan is working hard. He's just not trying to deceive those that are not believers, he's trying to deceive those those of us who are believers. Man, he's working overtime, don't you think? (laughs) Now, the King James Version, instead of the word deceive, he uses the word seduce. And I think that's a pretty good translation. They are trying to seduce you. And John knew there was deception among these early Christians, and it concerned him, and he had passion to keep them consistent with God's message of truth. Now, seduce, in this case, is very similar to the physical seducing as well. In other words, uh, you lead a person to commit spiritual adultery when you lead him or her away from the truth so here we are, perhaps seasoned Christians, and Satan is not done. He hasn't written us off to say they believers in Jesus Christ, so I'm going to go look at those that are not Christians. He's still going to try to get our attention, and this is what John is saying, that don't just kind of coast on your laurels and say, I'm just waiting for the Lord to take me home, because we could be down a slippery slope if we're not careful, and you know, taking us away from the truth. Maybe it's, hey, you got to look out for number one. That is a truth. And if, nobody, if you don't look out for yourself, nobody will. So you've got to do all these things just to make sure you're taking uh, care of yourself. Gnosticism at that time was saying, hey, let's, uh, let's live life to the fullest because we can separate our spiritualness from our physical body. So let's just party. As much as we want to, and we're good. And I think sometimes that captures our attention even today in our modern age. Amen. We can say, we can live, we can do all these things. I know I'm a Christian, I'll just coast, and you know that'll be good enough. But this deception, this seducing began in the garden. Way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, where Satan said to Eve, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Wasn't that a disaster? Tickle the ears, and this can happen to us as well. Deceive the faithful. We don't want to be deceived, right? We have to know the truth of God's word. We need to get, I'll say, the recipe right. It reminds me, I was uh, recently making hummus. I was following a recipe, and, and uh, it was a great recipe. I've made it many times before, and so it was calling for all these ingredients. I'm getting them in there. And then it calls out for olive oil. And so I was looking around. We have different kinds of olive oil in our house. And I I turned around and I I found the most attractive looking bottle of olive oil. (laughs) I'm going to use that one because it's going to taste better because it was an attractive bottle. (laughs) And so I put it in and Claudia said, man, that kind of tastes funny. And it was a sort of a citrus flavored olive oil What I already had put... Uh, lemon oil in there already. So it was like a disaster. But I was looking in the wrong place. I wasn't really making sure the recipe was right. And we can do that too if we're not careful. We need to be able to follow the recipe, to know the truth of God's word and, and, and really to be able to say, time out, this isn't sounding right. Something's going on here. And this is, this is where we come to the part where now John is beginning to offer up in light of these three things, the three things about the Antichrist, departing from the fellowship, denying the Christian faith, deceiving the faithful, what can we do? What are the principles that we can establish that are going to help us navigate through all this? And I just love John's heart that he wants his readers to be well-equipped, equipped, and therefore, he wants us to be well-equipped. And so we need to take note here. In light of these things, these caution flags, abiding in Christ is the first, abiding in his word, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this in verse 27. John says, And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you. Ah, doesn't that sound great? Abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. So let's talk about abiding first. Let that abide in you, and the term is the Greek meno, M E N O. And it talks about staying in a specific place, a certain relation, dwelling, enduring in a particular aspect. And think of it in terms of, let's say, putting a post and putting cement around it. It's going to be firm. It's not going to move. And so we have this abiding. We're there. It's firm. We have this abiding um, that's in us. And, and it doesn't mean uh, knowing from an intellectual part the truth of God's word, but it's, it's living in it. Because when we are living in the truth of God's word, we are abiding in God. We're abiding in his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 24 that we read recently says, And what you heard from the beginning abides in you, so also will I abide in the son. And in the Father, this is something that he talks about that you heard from the beginning. In other words, John has been teaching this to his children, to us about the truth of the gospel. We know what it is. He wrote the book of John. So the gospel is there and he's writing this letter. And so we know what the truth is. And if you stick with the original recipe, as I think back in my cooking exercise, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> it's when I start to veer off from that, then I get in trouble. You follow? So it, if I know that one plus one equals two, and somebody said, hey, we've discovered this new math, and you know what? One and one actually equals three. He would say, you got to be kidding me because that's not the way that, the, that math works. We're not back at the original way. It's some far-off uh, way that, that math is done. And so we have to be careful. And one of the ways that we do is we abide in Christ. And this allows us to protect ourselves from things that would come our way because we're abiding in Christ. From the beginning. And so. This is the case where new is not always better. Right? New improved. And how many times do I have a cell phone. And as soon as I, I get the new improved one. Then another one comes out. And back in the days that John is writing. This Gnosticism was a new improved way. Of looking at who Christ was. And what it means to be a Christian. And that goes on and on. And we hear all these different things. The new thing. Well now it's. This, and now this is kind of where we're going. And, you know, two years from now, it's going to be something else. And, and I think John's just saying, let's keep it simple. Keep it simple to, to what we know. So new is not good in this sense, right? Different is not good in this sense. And we can read Paul in Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He's pretty firm in what he says. As we have said before, I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he used to be accursed. Exclamation point. That's verse 9. But Paul is just saying, stick, stick to it. And this is one thing that we can be abiding in Christ by abiding in his word. But that takes effort on our part, right? Takes effort on our part to abide in Christ. Yes, I can come here on a Sunday morning and I can hear God's word. I can come on a Wednesday night and hats off to you guys and even those that are watching through live stream that want to be fed by God's word. I know that you guys are in Bible studies and and all those kinds of things. But if I just say, hey, I just want to come on Sunday morning, kind of slip in the back and hear a little bit of God's word and, and leave. That's not a relationship that's developed as we want to abide in Christ. It's a knowledge of Christ, okay? And I can say, I've read the Bible 50 times. But if there's not a deep understanding of God's word, then we are not abiding in him. We just have this intellectual knowledge. We can be historians and archaeologists and and know all these facts and figures and and seem pretty smart. But we want to abide in Christ. We want to have that relationship with him that's abiding. But now let's talk about anointing. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teach you about all things, and is true is not a lie, and just as it has taught you to abide in them. So we have this aspect of anointing. And the Greek word is charisma. Figuratively, it means kind of a special endowment from the Holy Spirit. And if you can imagine priests and uh, kings, you know, when they were being coronated, they, they would uh, be anointed, maybe symbolically, to carry out the duties that were entrusted to them. And this is the figure of speech. And even in the New Testament, we as Christians are called kings and priests in a royal priesthood. But this is the image that we have, that we're entrusted by the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit, and um, this isn't a excuse me, an anointing that is general for all Christians. And you know, we may watch some of those wacky Christian shows where somebody you know, comes down to the front, and there's this pouring of some sort of oil on them, and then they're saying weird things and they were prophetic and all that kind of stuff. This is not what it's talking about. This is saying, if you are a Christian, a true Christian, that you are anointed with the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? That means that that the Holy Spirit gives us discernment, right? He fills us. He is in us. He helps us make decisions. He we know sometimes that something's not right. And then we say, okay, that's the discernment from the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's like, I remember years ago in my twenties, a couple years after Claudia and I got married, I, for work, I needed a vision test. I don't think I had one since I was in grade school. And so I went to get the vision test to kind of check the box. And uh, I said, you know, you need glasses because you, your eyes aren't too good. So I got the glasses, and I remember putting them on for the first time, and I think I drove Claudia nuts, with just saying, look what I can read. And I'm reading stuff on her shirt, and I'm reading stuff that I can see in the distance. She's says, like, stop it, stop it. I was just so excited that I could see these things. But this is what the anointing of the Holy Spirit does for us. It opens our spiritual eyes, is it not? And then we can see, and, and, and the world is different to us, and Perhaps we can look back and say, man, I just didn't get it when I was younger. But now that I've been walking in the Lord for a period of time, man, there's just so much more, so much richness that I missed, and I can see, and I've got this wisdom and discernment that I have. This is the anointing of the Holy Spirit, it enlightens us. We can see truth against falsity. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And so now we're able to be able to say, okay, that ain't right. That ain't right. I've got to check my notes and see. And no, that's not right. And it says no need for anyone to teach you. Well, this doesn't mean that we don't need a Pastor Michael. I'm sure none of you would say that, right? But it does mean that we can feed ourselves. We can feed ourselves to a great extent. Yes, it's great when Pastor Michael has been hours through studying and he really brings us the the depth of God's word. And I appreciate that. I'm sure you do as well. But it doesn't mean that I just turn off the switch throughout the week and I just, I'm not equipped to be able to study God's word. Yes, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can do it. You can do it. It's not just a pastor's job to feed you and teach you. And there's a benefit in that. But we can go to resources. We can ask the Lord just through prayer to illuminate God's word to us. So this is what we're talking about, the anointing. So we have the abiding and we have the anointing. Both of those just together are just wonderful because we have this walking with Jesus, having this relationship with him, abiding in the truth of his word knowing really his character and appreciating him but also being equipped by the Holy Spirit and those things that John has pointed out we can air caution to that and we understand that we're not going to step this way we know the truth of God's word and we've got a very direct line in our walk with Christ and so what is God's promise reward well He's already promised in verse 25 that we will have eternal life. Man, I'm just so grateful for that, aren't you? That we have that. That is waiting for us. But in the last days, we still have work to do, right? There's still people to reach. We're not going to sit and just kind of wait for it to happen. And so verse 28 it says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. I don't know about you, but I I don't want to have Jesus appear and man, I'm just like behind the pulpit just going, I'm sorry, I, I should have just stayed with your word, but I would just be tickled this way and pulled this way and... Wouldn't that be scary that he would appear and we would not be confident enough to stand and say, take me home, Lord. I have this relationship with you and, and we've been walking down this path and it's beautiful and you were here to take me home and I'm not gonna hide. I'm not gonna feel embarrassed or any of those things. I'm not gonna be in shame at his coming. I am not going to be in shame at his coming. I'm not going to shrink away. Isn't that what you want? Not to be ashamed of his coming. It's going to be beautiful. So final verse 29, an exhortation from John saying, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And so if if God is righteous and we're walking in righteousness, that's a beautiful picture. But it's almost like people would be able to tell that we're Christians because of how we conduct ourselves. In righteousness, they see something that's different from us. There's this sweet aroma of righteousness in our lives, and it's it's contagious, and we want to share that with people. This is what evangelism is all about. And more and more we get closer to the image of God they'll see that and it's almost like you know a kid where you say well he's got his mother's nose or some figure that may be a good thing or not a good thing I don't know but we're the image of Christ and this is really this resemblance that we look like children of God I think this is why John continues to call them children and little children and and just because, you know, he sees this relationship with them and we want this relationship with the Lord as well. And so in closing, we we talked, or I should say John wrote in his letter that we are in the last days. There is no denying it. And we might say we're in the last minutes or seconds. We know that there are all kinds of Issues out there. We know that the Antichrists are out there in really kind of laying the groundwork for the capital A Antichrist with his business card, right? He has not showed up yet, but he is at some point soon to show up. John mentioned three things, cautions for us as Christians to be aware that these Antichrists will depart from the fellowship, they will deny the Christian faith. They will deceive the faithful man. what a conniving, what a conniving uh, principality is there with Satan. And I'm just so grateful that there is the solution. There's the answer that John offers us. that is we need to abide in Christ to abide in his truth. That's the message. Tonight, that's, that's uh, how we've labeled abiding in his truth. That's going to give us safety. That's going to give us the ability to know what he expects of us and really what it means to be a true Christian. And then this anointing of the Holy Spirit gives these uh, discernment, equips us to be able to know what is true and what is not true. Therefore, we have the promise of eternal life, and we have the promise that we can boldly in confidence Say, Lord, at your coming, just take me home. I am not afraid. I'm not cowering. I'm not hiding from you because I have walked in the truth of your word. Isn't that a great story? In light of all the stuff that that he has talked about, we, we are hopeful in all of this. And so if you are not quite sure Where you stand with the Lord, don't leave here unless you come down. We can pray and make sure that you are abiding in His truth. You're anointed with the Holy Spirit, that you have this discernment. Because we don't want to go out in this world where all these antichrists are and get caught in some trap, because the traps are out there, right? Yes, we are in the end times, we're in the last days. And I pray that we would use each and every day to be able to uh, meaningfully do something that's going to further grow the kingdom of God in heaven. Right, and so let's pray, Father. Thank you for our time. Thank you for John and his heart to really teach his people and to teach us as well. Lord, we want to be discerning. We want to make sure that uh, we are on a good path. That. Lord, you've laid it out here through his letter. And so may we just take this to heart. May we not be cavalier. We know we're in the last times, the last days. And so we don't want to just kind of not think about what our role and responsibility is. This can be such an exciting time for us as Christians. I pray that it is, that we are being used by you, that we're encouraging others. We're taking what's laid out in this letter from the Apostle John, and we're communicating this to other people as well. And so may that grow exponentially to more and more believers. May we just stay true to your word. May we keep it simple. May we not get um, too much into the things that are happening, all the things that preoccupy our minds and our hearts out there in the world, Lord. just want to stay focused on you. So may you bless us. May we just um, be used as your vessels for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.